Howdy, y'all! Welcome into South Scruffy Podcast. It's me, Ben. Glad you're here. How we doing out there? Got a big weekend coming up. Second Bell Festival is this weekend. We will be out there. Come check us out. We're in the Big Silver Airstream behind the second stage. We got some podcast interviews happening in there. And then me and producer Sam are going to be giving some live updates from the SOS Airstream at Second Bell. It's going to be a great time. Big Boy's headlining. Palm Palm is playing. Super Drag is in there. Come out to the festival Friday and Saturday, September 30th, October 1st. All right. Today's show. Chad Cunningham is here. I can't believe I hadn't met Chad. In fact, I thought I had met Chad before, but I don't think we had. This is the first time he and I have ever gotten to sit down and talk. Chad is a director, a very good one at that. Directs a lot of true crime television shows, among other things. But he has many, many hours of television under his belt as far as directing things for the screen. It was wonderful to talk to him. It was great to talk about different approaches when it comes to talent, when it comes to crew. We just had a really great time chatting. It's good to chat with somebody who does something that I do, but in a different way. It was a great time, and I hope you guys enjoy it. Here is my chat with Chad Cunningham. We're doing the podcast. Let's do it, man. Dude. Let's see what happens. We're We're live. Awesome. Chad, thanks for doing it, man. Yeah, dude, of course. I'm glad to finally meet you, meet you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, an official hangout. I know. I, uh, of course, have heard your name for years, and it's all been, like, people respect the hell out of your work, man. It sounds like you're doing some really some really good stuff and doing it the right way, treat people the right way while making great stuff. Yeah, try, <laughs> you know, you try your best, you know, like, that's that's all you can do. Well, sets can be such awful places sometimes for egos and attitudes and yeah. people get bent out of shape. I mean, I've been on a shoot for, you know, we're, we're in, you know, the middle of a 11 or 12 day shoot and it's like people get tired. People get, you know, it's like a, any other job. You get, you get attitudes and egos involved, but you can also make way better stuff if everybody feels respected, happy and appreciated. Absolutely. And I mean, you know, as much as I do, you know, directed longer probably than I have half your job isn't just the creative. It's the, the leadership, the, um, trying to tune into all those things as well as trying to keep your day forward that, that, um, commitment to, Hey, I'm going to get you home. You know, like I'm going to, I'm going to help this day be easy. I'm going to, I'm going to take care of you. Yeah. And, uh, I strive for that, especially on our, our TV show since our schedule is such a grind half the time. Yeah. And you guys shoot a lot at night too, don't you? Oh yeah. I, uh, wrapped last night. I think I got home about two 30 in the morning and you know, just get used to it. So what's a call time like if you're, if you're shooting at night, you get there right at, right at dusk and start setting up your night scenes and. We're almost always a 10 to, to a 12, depending on the show. 12-hour day, 10 yeah, to 12-hour yeah. day. So we, uh, you know, just depends on what we got. Uh, unfortunately, most people get uh, get murdered at night, so we end up, <laughs> <laughs> you know, burning the midnight oil. So that's a, the content of a lot of the stuff that you shoot with so Jupiter, right? With Jupiter and Tampa, so I've been a freelancer uh, for 
about eight years. Okay. Been mostly doing stuff with uh, Jupiter Entertainment, uh, Melojo, which is uh, Kelly Ripa, Mark Consuelo's company out of New York. Oh, yeah. Um, I've, I work with Jarrett Creative. It's out of New York as well. Um, mostly in the true crime genre, uh, okay. directing those those television shows. Um, so, yeah, so a lot of uh, the contents at night, weird places, yeah. weird houses. So what are how do a lot of those stories go? There is is it documentary style a lot of times? So yeah. you have interviews that are that are intercut with with your recreations and those kinds of things. Exactly. So um, it's approached like a documentary, and then a, a lot of the production we're doing locally is more on the narrative side of things. So we're 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 doing the the narrative recreation, the retelling, uh, which is really fun, man. It's like a, it's me getting my ten thousand hours as a director in yeah. the narrative space. So that's why the way I try and treat it. And um, yeah, I'm two hundred and seventy something episodes in right now. Wow, and, uh, about the last seven years. So wow, yeah. So are they all an hour long? Uh, yeah, actually. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. It's wild. And where does this stuff air? Like uh, Discovery and those kinds I've of- I've done a couple things for Discovery. Uh, I did a ghost show for Discovery. I've done something for um, uh, Curiosity Stream, which is a streaming platform. Um, I think that project made its way over to HBO Max at some point. But um, mostly TV One. Uh, I've done Fatal Attraction for since 2015, wow. which is a show that's been going over there. We have a 50 episode season 13 order right now that we're trying to fulfill. Wow. And then uh, TV one investigation discovery. So ID and yeah. um, oxygen. So do you like, if you get an order for 13 episodes, 13 hour long episodes, are you the director on all 13 of them? Generally, they try to sign me by the season. Ah, is normally what happens. Just cohesion of vibe and and feel and mise en scene and yeah, yeah. all that stuff. Exactly. That, well, it makes the team work a, a little easier because yeah. every show has a slight variation of like what they're trying to do. Yeah. Um, and and I'm sure the format's a little different, probably too, for each show that you get signed. Yeah. To do, they try to sell in different different styles, different you know situations. Um, so yeah, it's it's you know a lot of them like they have this one niche thing that's different. You know they're, they're trying to like this is the style of this show. And this is what makes it yeah. different. So like Amy Hubbard was here and she was talking mm -hmm. about a, a show that she directed for, uh, I think the Weather Channel and it was called Storm of Suspicion and it's like it's it it fits the true crime mold, uh, but the niche thing about it is that weather played into how the crime was was yeah. committed. Somehow. Absolutely, yeah, I love Amy. Amy's great. I uh, worked with her a good bit when she was a producer. Uh, I've never done that show, but that show has its horror stories because they come in and it's like, we need uh, snow and it's middle of July, so yeah. we got like 10 people making fake snow and yeah. you know, we need uh, rain trucks or whatever, and it's just a whole, every single episode. Um, they pull off some amazing stuff with like not a lot. I worked on this uh, 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 on a promo for a show called what was it called? It was called it was this it, it was a show on DIY Network and it it was the working title was Dinner in a Kitchen and so what okay. they would do is they would get a, a husband and a wife and the husband was in on it and the wife wasn't in on it and they would go out for dinner one night and then this whole crew would come in and renovate their kitchen. That sounds like a terrible <laughs> idea. <laughs> My wife would kill me. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. But what I remember about this show, it ended up being called 
Oh, that's loud. Wow, yeah. Yeah. It uh, ended up being called Renovation Raiders, and it had this like Ocean's Eleven vibe where they would recreate okay. these people's kitchen in a warehouse, and they would come up with plans on how they were bringing in the okay. team that took out the cabinets, and they would like run through all these... Uh, run through all the scenarios of what could go wrong and if the wife came home early. and I can get behind that. And that kind of sounds like the rehearsal on HBO. Have you seen that new Nathan? No. Uh, uh, the guy who did Nathan For You. Yeah. He uh, has a new show called The Rehearsal where they like, he tries to help people. Like, this is a really bad description. I've only seen one episode, but it's basically he tries to help people face these certain circumstances in their life. So he builds their spaces out in a warehouse ah. and they go over every possible like scenario nice. that could happen with actors. Yeah. And then the guy goes and the person goes and yeah. does it. And it's really interesting. That was absolutely the vibe of this show. That's kind of crazy. And it had, it did have the oceans 11 vibe to it. I think they were leaning into it, but the day before we went to shoot promos for the show, we were shooting on set kind of like a follow thing to get, you know, what was happening on their set in our visual style. So we could cut some promos for them. And, uh, and, what they didn't see coming was 16 inches of snow the night before. Oh, no. And so it was a whole disaster, even getting the couple to go out of the house. But it was in Minnesota. It was in Minneapolis. Sure. But I remember right before the the uh, the team was coming home, or the, the, the husband and wife were coming home, the uh, PAs were had a snowblower out in the front yard to cover all the tire tracks and all the <laughs> no. footprints through the front yard. They were shoveling snow to like make it to where you couldn't tell that they uh. were because they were all about that reaction of the of the wife walking in and being like, "Where am I? Right, this right. is not my house." <laughs> That's know? crazy. The uh, I tell you what, man, you you probably have just as many as I do, but like <laughs> set stories like that. Like I was just telling uh, Sam earlier. Fatal Traction last night, we show up to our house to shoot like murder scene, crime scene, all this stuff. And there's a dead something, possum or whatever in the chimney and it smells horrible. Oh no. And so the whole day we had to like tape off the chimney and oh, just like disgusting. Just deal with it. Oh, it was terrible. But it's just always something. It's always a story like that. And I, you know, I remember, you know, do, doing some of these shoots that are absolutely uh, grinds. Yeah. And, you know, people it's like it pushes you to the end of 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 what your psyche can handle yeah and at the time you're frustrated it's hard and nothing is easy it's a hard scrabble endeavor but by the time you're done you look back on it two years later and those are the best ones 100 the memories appreciate over time it's the best stories to tell. It is. They're I mean? the best stories to tell. And it's, you know, it, it you're standing around craft services bullshitting with the crew yep. three years later, like, oh, you, do you remember? Can you believe we pulled that off? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I feel like I have a hundred of just the craziest thing because we shoot at night. Yeah. You have the weirdest people walk on your set. Oh, I'm sure. People that aren't asleep when they should be. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. But something you said that I, I, lean into so much and I'm so glad to hear you say it because I've always felt like it's kind of a, a an old school an old school mindset of how to get things done is yell at people and push them to their wits end day in and day out work 18 hour days and you know they're working frater days by the end of the week and yep. and their call time six o'clock <clears throat> and they wrap at noon the next day and it's and it's like that mentality seems to, at least in our world, be going away a little bit. And people are like, listen, man, there's a, we can treat each other like humans and still get this stuff done. We're not saving lives. Yep. I don't care how big your ego is and how much you think you need to yell. Right. Like we, we're, we're making a thing and we're lucky to be able to do it. And 
you know, we have to we have to treat people like human beings right. and not and and so there's not just this creative uh, this role of creative fulfillment that you have to take on of of what you what you promised you would do, what you promised a network you would make, yeah. or what you promised a production company you would make. That's important. It's yeah. very important. But another very important thing is treating people in uh, with respect, treating people, uh, uh, behaving in a civilized manner. Because you have to work with these people day in and day out. And Absolutely. your uh, I heard somebody say it, uh, like a motivational speaker the other day that was like, you know, I don't want to hear stories about my great grandfather because stories didn't get around back then. He was probably an asshole because he could have been, right? And it didn't, and it didn't matter because word didn't spread. But now, you know, you're you're an asshole in California on a set. The people in New York know it tomorrow. Oh, it's happening. Yeah, it's happening. I mean, there's a story that came out today about Colin Trevorrow who directed Jurassic Park. Really? I mean, yeah, just. It never ends. Yeah, I think the uh, it, it was like the Christian Bale thing was the yeah. first. Like, <laughs> yeah, the, yeah, it was like oh, hot mic. Like, yeah. it, it, and it pretty. I mean, it it was hard. That was bad that for was, him. Brutal. Yeah. It, and Shane Hurlbush, sure. the DP, with that that got dressed down. It was yeah. like that word got around fast. What happened with the Jurassic Park dude? Uh, it was uh, was what's her name? Uh, An it's, actress uh, Ron, on the Ron set. Howard's uh, daughter, D- Dallas. Dallas. Yeah. Okay. She. Uh, I guess he like asked her. He like stopped down shooting. Asked her to lose weight or something. Oh wow! For for some reason, and she oh came out gosh. and was like, "That wasn't cool." Yeah, you can't really do stuff like that anymore. You have yeah. to treat people right, and I I think that is net good for the industry. No, hundred percent. And it and Absolutely. it and and it it makes it a little bit harder. Yeah, I think because you have more to worry about. the The thing that you're making is no longer the most important thing. You, your no. reputation's on the line. Your you know, and just being a decent human being is on the line. And I think that people care, seem to care about that a lot more. Maybe that's just an yeah. us thing here in our marketplace. I, I think it's it's rippling. I mean, the thing is that I think a lot of people fail. The, the idea of like an auteur is, mm-hmm. to me is kind of out the window. Like a Roman Polanski or something. Yeah. It's just you know, like it's, in their head. Just, we, yeah. we participate in a team sport that yeah. can't be done on our own. Like bottom line, we can't do it by ourselves. We need people more talented than us in every area right. to achieve what all these other guys achieved, but they get all the credit, mm. you know, but like I need a DP who's better than me. Yeah. I need, I need an audio guy who knows what he's talking. Cause I can't know all these things. Like right. not one person can. Yeah. And so it's our job to have collaborators that you, you love, you respect, you take care of so that they're willing to do the best. Cause no one cares as much as we do. And we just have to realize that. Like, yeah. like, we care the most about the whole thing, the whole image, and we have the most responsibility. Yeah, you're the keeper of the story. Exactly. But we can't expect other people to carry that. So you have to know how to get there and mm. take care of people so that you yeah. get the best work. Sure. So what? How is your? what's your style like? What would you, what would you call your, your directorial style? I've never worked on set with you before. We, we may never work on yeah, set because we do the same thing. So they don't need two of us. I know. Us. It's so weird. You like never meet other directors, really. Um, I'll AD for you sometime. Hey, I'd love that. That'd be amazing. <laughs> um, I'm honestly really chill. I don't, I don't, I'm not extremely loud. Um, I just try to be as efficient as possible mm. uh, and, and communicate. I try to keep it light. Um, yeah. When it's really time to buckle down. I kind of I make it known, but it's just a very like, hey, come on, let's let's you know. I try to ad the day, yeah, in, in a very. Uh, I don't have an ad. I've never really had one yeah. on any of these shows, so I just have learned that that skill. Yeah. Um, and I, and I, honestly, it's just preparation. It's making mm. sure that everyone knows where we're going. Yeah. Um, but outside of that, I just uh, you know, I love to collaborate with 
talented people. Yeah. You know? That's the most fun part, in my opinion. For sure. I, I think that is really difficult to be your own AD. And I did it for years. And yeah. I worked, I meant, uh, my mentor did it for himself until it finally got to a point where he got me to AD for him, which I was very happy to to step into that role yeah. because I knew how he worked. I knew how buttoned up he was. And I it's knew a great that way if, to learn. It is a great way to learn. And I knew that if I could take care of the things that could that could free him up with some bandwidth to continue to be creative, uh, that I could, you know, help that I could help him in that way. But I watched him do it for a couple years where I was like, man, I don't even know how you're doing this. I don't know how you're keeping set morale high, yeah. how you're communicating. And and I think it can, it, it does come back to preparation. Yeah. I think if you're super prepared and know exactly what you want to do and you can effectively communicate to those, that to those people that are, that you have to have to help you pull this stuff off. Yeah. Then, then that's the only winning formula for if if you are not just the coach and the cheerleader, yeah, and you know, and and the keeper of the story, the guy who it's all going to fall back on if it doesn't work out. The only way to do it is to fix it in pre and to know exactly where you're, where you're going and to know more about what you're doing and what the story needs to be than anybody else there. Yeah. And then to be able to effectively communicate that to the right people that are going to help you carry that out yeah. at the right time. Absolutely. <laughs> I mean, and that's and that's really the way I approach especially these shows every single one is different every single one has some weird little detail that we have to hit because they said so in the interview or whatever mm. and so i just make sure i know all of those things yeah thorough walkthrough that's top of every day with every yeah. department head that knows what's coming mm. and so whenever we really get notes to the grindstone i can just say hey you know we're going to jump to this we're going to change that and everyone kind of knows and everyone's yeah. already there ready to go um and then just you know Having good communication with the DP, honestly, I think, yeah. especially on a lot of these sets, the DP is your right hand. Mm-hmm. And um, as long as they're committed to it, and, and like Sam, Sam's one of those guys, man, that uh, he's he's so great. He's been working second cam for me. Yeah. Um, and he's just one of those guys that I'd, I'd have him on set any day. Sam Thomas is a diamond in the rough he is. In, in the in the production industry. And I guess he comes from a sound background from, you know, mixing gold rap records and Grammy winning right. stuff like that. But uh, I've noticed that uh, that guys that come from that world, from the sound world, they're manual readers. They're people who yep. know gear inside yep. and out. They know they they know all of the technological uh, ways that things work, whether they're cameras or, or mixing boards or microphones or whatever it is. And uh, there's there's no there's nobody I'd rather have in my corner than uh, than a guy like that. And, Absolutely. And and you see them work their way up real fast. Yeah. And, and but I think and, and and not to not to you know uh, talk about Sam. I mean I know he's here somewhere, but uh, <laughs> but also the attitude that goes along with it. Hundred percent. You know because that'll get you out of there quicker than anything else. I'll take you, that all day. Me too. Give me the right attitude and and 80% proficiency in your craft yep. over 100% proficiency in a in a C minus attitude. It changes the it, game. It, it, it makes totally it makes a hard day so much smoother. Because Absolutely. you at least know that whenever it's time to work, they're there and ready and they're not losing their mind right over whatever goes wrong. Yep. Which is inevitable. Yep. Yeah. And I think I, th- I think that uh, this, you know somebody told me one time that like anticipation is really one of the one of the intangibles in our industry. Absolutely. That that make it work um, when you can't get half of the sentence out of your mouth. Of, can we have full a- 
you're asking yep, yep, for an yep. Apple box and it's already walking on set 100%. because because the because the key grip was watching and yep. knew that the that the actress was too short or Absolutely. whatever you know or that somebody was struggling to get a table higher whatever it is you know that that is to me the one of the biggest intangibles that uh, that. I mean, I, I think you can learn it, but you have to be you have to be eyes open, looking around at all times, and you have to be engaged. Right. And there's so much going on at all times that it's so easy to get distracted and to start off in your own conversation. But if you can focus everybody on the work and what's happening and get everybody engaged, get everybody involved, right. you're going to make better stuff that you can't make by yourself. Oh, absolutely. You know, in, investment. I think you mm-hmm. know the crew believes in in you and what you're doing. Yeah, they're invested. Yep. And they're invested in the project, even if they don't, you know, they're there for the for the paycheck. Ultimately, yeah. the day rate, they're coming in. But if they're invested in what you are doing and you've done that work with them, then you're going to get that anticipation, that right. care, that extra, the extra mile. And that's what's important. Yeah. I mean, how many leadership books have, have been written about like the best way to get the most out of people is for them to think that what they're doing matters or to know that yeah. what they're doing matters and for them to know that they're appreciated. And, you know, that's why people quit their jobs all the time or, <laughs> yeah. or quite quit or whatever it is they, because they, they don't feel appreciated or they don't feel like they're helping move the needle at all. And yeah. that's an easy thing to do. Oh, it, absolutely. It's easy to be like, man, I noticed what you did back there on that last setup. Absolutely. You know, that lighting gag you just did. I never would have thought of yeah. it, but it made the scene. And great, I saw great it. shot. You, you pulled that, you nailed that focus, you know, all yeah. those little things. Mm-hmm. And man, I just feel so, so lucky and blessed to be in Knoxville with our crew that we have here. Um, I know our TV crew, our, our, our commercial crews and mm-hmm. our TV crews are a little separate. Sure. But man, do we have just all stars in our little town. Yeah. And a, a really thriving, you know, film community. For sure. And people who, are so talented, so wickedly talented. Mm. And, you know, we have such a good family in the TV space, uh, especially in the Jupiter world, you know, where we're facing, you know, 65, 70 episodes a year. And just, you know, we're there for everyone all the time, you know, and it's just, it's just so, it's such a great way to learn and to, you know, be really earning your chops as, as a director. And I feel, I feel blessed to be here. For sure. And and I, I I always when people from other markets ask about about this, when we're working in, you know, like I said, Minneapolis, when I'm working in L.A., when I'm working, you know, worked in Texas earlier this year, it's like everybody asks, like, what what's up with that part of the world? What's up with East Tennessee and Nashville and yeah. the stuff you have going on? And because I hear a lot about it. I hear that you guys right. are doing the work. And it's like, well, man, I can tell you what. It's a lot easier to work here than it is in Atlanta and survive yeah. as a creative or as a or as a you know below the line film crew member, whatever yeah. it is. Um, for some of the things that we talked about earlier, where you can live a decent lifestyle where where people care about you, uh, but not having to drive an hour and a half for your call time at 6 a.m. every day or, you know, whatever it is, it's just an easier place to live. And we're making big stuff that gets out there and gets seen a lot. So you get that, you, you get that fulfillment and uh, you you get that gratification from your work without all the, what I would call negatives of living in some of those bigger markets where um, I don't want to call out union town specifically, (laughs) but they seem to make stuff harder on film sets sometimes too. It's tough. it it is tough, and so I think we have a good mix of 
of the lifestyle we're able to have while still being able to carry out some important work at a very high level. Absolutely. And, and, and my aspirations still, you know, they're, they're movies, they're big television shows. Yeah, features and, you know, TV's going crazy right now. You know, solid narrative television. But yeah. right now while I'm, you know, raising a daughter and, you know, earning my chops and trying to get that wheel going, mm-hmm. not a better place. Absolutely. Because like you, you said, 10,000 hours. I mean, mm-hmm. you're, you're, you're doing it. Yeah. You're, you're, you're working, you're getting it 10 or 12 hours at a time. Absolutely. And it takes that. Nobody get Justin Bieber didn't get found uh, uh, just because he had talent. He, uh, Taylor Swift didn't get famous just because right. she had talent. Both of those guys, you know, hate their music. If you want it, they put in, all the hard work it took to get them to that point. And it's, there's nothing, no such thing as a free lunch. You don't just show up and be talented and get it. And so I I appreciate that, that mindset, because I've never really thought about it that way because I'm, you know, I'm, I'm doing what I love and I'm, and uh, I'm, 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 yes, I guess I'm honing my chops, but I've never really thought about it as, you know, something that I, I want to, um, necessarily take into the feature world or the TV world because I love commercial work so much. And um, I would not be mad, though, if it parlayed into some scripted stuff down the road. I just yeah. haven't really set that goal uh, yet. But I would I think that would be uh, I mean, it's it's obviously really good practice that we're that we're both getting. It's reps, man. It's, it's reps. Re- it's repetition. And, you know, your work's amazing. And I've had a lot of respect for you for a long time. So, I mean, I. You keep making stuff. Just keep making it. Exactly. And, the, uh, I mean, technology is crazy. We were setting up a yeah. scene today. I was shooting a, a like, a, 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 I think it was a like a mom reading to her kid in a bedroom. It was a really sweet scene. And it was a small bedroom. And I look up and there's fluorescent Titan tubes. Or not, not fluorescent, but they're, you know, LED powered, you know, two foot long tubes uh, of light that are just kind of being placed around the room. Very right. small footprint. Uh, not hot lights that are mm-hmm. that are burning you out of the room. Uh, and I just looked around for a second. I had this moment where I was like, even when I started doing this, you know, uh, fifteen years ago, this technology was not here. Yeah, and the technology is helping us make better stuff for less money, exactly, faster, more efficiently. And so that to me is a really gratifying part of it too. Is that we. We get to we get to grab onto these new things that are making that are that these new tools that are helping us make better work, and we're yeah. kind of existing at a really cool time in the oh, cra- in the craft. The, the innovation has, has changed the game. I mean, I remember yes. having you know Kino flows, and I know this is boring for whoever is not in the film industry, but like Kino flow, like the the tubes. Yeah, what was it six years ago? Yeah, fluorescent and, lights and, that don't flicker. Yeah, and now yeah. everything is. LED. I mean, I have battery a, powered. I've got a 600D <laughs> that could replace a Joker in the back of my car right now. You right. Know, it's just that costs half as much. Yep. It doesn't get hot. Yeah. It's, it it's doesn't take a bunch of power. And have them now that color change. It, yeah. It's unbelievable what's, what's possible now. Yeah. We, we had a scene today where, um, you know, our, our lighting in the room was being motivated by like a, a lamp that was on the, that was, uh, that was, uh, uh, inferred that it was on, on a side table that was out of frame and that was motivating our light for the whole room. It wasn't a lamp. It was just, right. you know, it was, it was a lot of different tubes that we had set up around the room, but we had, uh, the mom go over and, and just kind of put her hand out of frame and touch something. And then the gaffer's over there on his phone yep. 
turning all the lights off from an app on his phone to yeah. to make it look like she turned it off when she reached out of frame. And it's like, where where am I? Like this yeah. is this is great that we're able to do this and do it quickly and do it, you know, efficiently. The stuff is getting cheaper. Yeah. And I think <clears throat> I think what we have to thank for that, all this innovation is the fact that the content medium is more ubiquitous than ever. People are taking in motion, moving content mm -hmm. every single day. Uh, no matter, it's not just on the television anymore. It's on your phone. It's it's everywhere you look. There's different kinds of content that are being made. YouTube is huge. People are making a ton of money off of YouTube. And so we're bringing in these technologies, like audio is another good example of it. They're having to, to innovate and make this stuff affordable for the YouTube creators who, right. who want to up who want to start up a YouTube channel that can't afford to rent a camera for a thousand dollars a day, or they can't afford to rent a lighting package for a thousand dollars a day. They need a five hundred dollar uh, solution that they can buy, and so there's all these companies that are coming up with this stuff that is that is uh, affordable. It's innovative, and then it's creeping into to our to the world of narrative yeah. work, and it's making our work better and making us able to make better stuff. And it's um it, it it's it's just a, it's a good time to be, it's a good time to be making this kind of stuff. But you have to stay on top of that shit, yeah. or you're gonna get left behind. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, I I just love too that it's taking this um. You know, when it was film and it was so expensive to shoot anything, anyone who wanted to be a filmmaker, that that level to entry was so high. Sure. And now, you know, you have voices that haven't been heard or or, or haven't been given opportunities right. in Creators. the past now that are able to go buy a camera and buy some lights and make stuff that looks better than stuff in the 70s at times. Sure. You know, in 80s and, and, and shoot things and get you know, TV pilots made and, right. um, you know, and stuff's being picked up left and right. And, and those voices are being heard. And it's just right. such a, a beautiful time for, you know, innovation and diversity in, in, in what stories we're telling all out of innovation and accessibility sure. to, to tools to, to tell their stories. And it, yeah. it's, it's amazing, especially with like TikTok and all these things, you know, stuff can blow up. Yeah. And, and those things are pushing the medium too. Yeah. Camera tricks they're doing. I mean, move, moving camera stuff, the, the stuff that, that they're doing in edits, you see people wiping a mirror and, you know, and it's like they're mask, you know, they're, they're changing clothes every time their hand crosses right, the frame. Right, right. And it's like, this is, this is stuff that if it, that is obviously that people, that people are obviously gravitating towards as consumers. And we have to be, we have to know that those people are on our heels and we can <laughs> lean into that or, right. or we can. Uh, or, or, or we can resist it right. and get left behind. Yeah, resisting it just shouldn't be an option. I know? watched it, man, with because right after I got out of film school was uh, when the Red One came out. Yeah. And the Canon 5D came out not long after that, which shot high-definition video on a camera body that a lot of people already had. You know, a lot of still photographers already right. had it, and they already had lenses for it. And so they were able to then make really high-quality content and – and it kind of it was this delineating moment in the history of of filmmaking, I think. Yeah. Where, you know, where, you know, Da Vinci can finally afford his paintbrushes. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you yeah. You know what I mean? Like, absolutely. Imagine if imagine if those creators were never. Imagine if all those artists that you think about that have created, you know, Michelangelo, all these guys that we think about from you know hundreds of years ago, if they 
if the barrier of entry was so thick into their, so high into their craft that they could never make it, it just wouldn't have existed. And now that's gone in in our space. And I think it's awesome because it puts the heat on guys like us and we can, we can either resist it and, and, and say, Oh, they're not making good stuff over there on YouTube. Or you can be like, let me watch this video about this guy who just made some of the most amazing stuff I've ever seen with a DSLR camera that costs a thousand dollars. And let me implement that into what I'm doing. One is really fascinating with the number of platforms there are as well, you know, so better stories and there's a higher quality level of what's being put out now. It it can't be shitty. No. Bottom line. No. You know, you just, it's gotta be good and there's a hundred places that'll buy it. So, it's a meritocracy. Um, exactly. Stuff stuff gets to stuff gets to uh, succeed or fail on its own merit anymore because there's yeah. a place for it if it's good. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, but again, it's it's not people aren't going to find it if you don't if you don't make it and don't put it out there. And sometimes you got to make a lot of it before people find yeah. it. A lot and of bad the, first. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I, I don't know how many people would have seen Jackie Brown if if Pulp Fiction wasn't such a yeah. hit. You know. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> and, but, absolutely. You know, people are making stuff in the shadows right. and then you know once 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 something hits you realize that that uh that 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 somebody had talent all along and i'm so glad that i'm so glad that we're at a point where merit can merit has a place to live and if if you if you are willing to work hard enough and try hard enough to get to get it out there then you know it's it's a lot easier but the the <laughs> the flip side of that is that the, the the marketplace is so crowded. It is, and there's so much stuff out there, and a finite amount of eyeballs that can take it in. And so, it's like, a very it's a very weird time in general across all. You know, I've been doing a lot of pitching lately, and it's really it's a weird time in the feature and in the uh, unscripted space. What are you pitching? Um, so I have one unscripted project specifically right now within the true crime genre. Okay. Um, something that myself and uh dustin tate i don't know if you know dustin i do know dustin i love him dustin's a good friend of mine he just gaffed the dolly movie yes he did he uh he did a great job from my understanding he uh he was on chopped and he's worked with me for probably about eight years awesome and um good good excellent friend and he uh we partnered on a project true crime project try to take something like a netflix special you know nice um and made a sizzle did a great job i'm really happy with it and um Pitch deck took it out. My manager took it out. Uh, we got A3 to rep it and nice. took it out to a bunch of companies. And it's just a weird time to buy because Discovery, getting buying Warners, they shut down all buying. So that's kind of weird in the scripted space. And coming out of COVID as well, it's really, there's such a surplus of scripts, of ideas, of pitches that no one could make, but they bought. Hmm. So there's like a line to get made. So now everyone's slowing down on buying. Because they've already bought a bunch of intellectual property exactly. that they're waiting to make. Yep. Interesting. Happened a lot during COVID because a lot of writers just kept writing. Yeah. Obviously, they're they're crafted and stopped. So a lot of narrative stuff got written, and they just kept buying stuff, but they weren't making anything. So that line just got longer. There's so a backlog. There, exactly. There's shows on back order. Exactly. Yeah. So uh, what is that process like to come up with? So when you when you are pitching an idea, what are you bringing? What are you bringing? to a, a potential buyer and who is that potential buyer so in um in the scripted space so i've got i've got two features uh, that are written okay um, so that's like 
an hour and a half long movie. It's a movie, yeah. Okay. It's a movie. Um, 90 pages, 100 pages, 100 page script. Yeah, 100. I think one's 120, one's okay. about 110. Okay. And uh, I, I have a manager in the narrative space uh, out in LA, and he's taking it out. And most of them are with production companies. Mm. Um, uh, a couple of the ones I pitched are uh, the one who did uh, a production company who did Sicario, one that did um, Place Beyond the Pines, A Star Is Born, wow. those places. Yeah. Um, great meetings, but right now it's just it's got to fit such a unique spot. You know, it's got to be um, it fits what they do, it fits within what they've already purchased. It's mm. like, oh, we love it, but we already have this many of this already. We're really looking for a comedy, or so it has to fit into their portfolio. Yes. <laughs> Because they have so much money to spend every year, so yeah. they can't. They've got to diversify. Yeah, and so you just have all this, and then also it's like, okay, well, who do we think we can attach to this? Because it's got to have star power to sell internationally. Man. So there's all this stuff that you got to worry about. You're reminding me of my LA days. So <laughs> flashbacks. Bad. Right oh now. my gosh, man! I just I I forget because I'm so disconnected from it now. Doing client work to yeah. where you know where we're working with brands that I, I almost forgot about the behind the scenes part of making narrative stuff, yeah. which is exactly what you said, which is, you know, not only is it a, you know, Oh, I, I see this as a Scarlett Johansson, you know, film or whatever. Yeah. Let me see if I can get her, get her excited about it. Send her the script. She reads it, you know? Yeah. She likes it. Okay. I've got her on board. That's, that's well, the, a producer's job, right? Exactly. <laughs> but even the more complicated situations happening now is the, the, overrun nature of like Star Wars TV shows and Marvel TV shows and Marvel movies. And, uh, you know, you might get someone attached and, okay, we're going to go raise the rest of the money knowing Scarlett Johansson's attached. Mm -hmm. And then she gets a call. She's got to go do a Marvel movie. She's gone. Yeah. All your funding falls through. That's nine months of work out the window. And you start again. Wow. And so it's just very weird. But um, my advice to anyone who is interested in doing this, do both. Do that process and then do what I'm working on now. Write something small that mm. you can make that you can control. Yeah, there's some friends that I respect the hell out of who did that last year. Uh, Christopher Mitchell, I don't know if you know Chris. Yeah, for, he's great. Um, I think I do. Yeah, he's 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 awesome, and he just finally was like, "I'm writing a feature. I'm going to go make it," and that's what he did. Um, and I, I don't know if that's distribution yet, but I know he was in talks with some people. And uh, he's just, he's a great guy who works really hard and I hope it just blows up because really? he deserves it. Yeah. Yeah. So, so not only do you have to have a good script, you have to have a good place for it to land. Yep. And then all the money has to come in from how, however you got that money, whether it's attaching star power to it or. Um, I, I guess if you haven't directed a feature that's gone crazy yet, you know, your name is not going to do that quite yet. That's the, that's the other issue I'm running into right now. Really? Is they, lo I love the script. I love your writing. It's great, but it's still too expensive for a first time director. Right. And so I heard Ron Howard talk about this one time on a podcast. He was talking about how, you know, once you get into making this stuff and when you do, uh, uh if a production or an idea, a script is tied to a, a big name actor and you've shot for two weeks and it's not going great or people get cold feet. The director's the first person to go. Yeah. So what kind of risk is there involved as a writer director when you, once you do get in the gate and think you're home free? Um, I mean, what can happen from there? I just assume the rest of my hair will fall out uh, during that time. <laughs> if I ever get there, um, 
I'm assuming it'll be really stressful. The big thing is, you know, I think you just have to make something. I think yeah. bottom line is like you got to throw that fear aside and just make. And even if your first, you know, how many how many directors are out there that made bad movies? Sure. And now they're making great movies. It's mm. just, I think you just have to keep swinging because yeah. you can be on this hamster wheel for 10 years yeah. you know of like oh well i've got people look, reading my scripts but i've never made anything and, and i'm not about that i, I want to make yeah and at least let those things stand up on their own yeah so what about the idea of like working b movies and like roger corman type stuff because like, yeah. ron howard did did that yeah, he started there yeah he did start there and making stuff that nobody else wanted to direct because it was super hard and you had no money to do it yeah and um, I guess that's where he got his 10,000 hours, yeah. you know, ultimately was, was something like that and taking the work that maybe people are scared to do Absolutely. and then showing up and doing a, a better job than, than your producers backers could have imagined. And then just kind of incrementally, yeah. incrementally getting better that, that, that worked for him yeah. and he's got some crazy stories about how he did a lot with nothing. Right. Well, and I think that's, you know, I think that's the path, right? Uh, and my goal, and I've got a good friend, Rod Blackhurst, who, uh, he's a buddy, he's in Nashville. He, his advice to me was, uh, so he he did the um, Amanda Knox documentary for Netflix. Oh, and then cool. did a John Wayne Gacy one for Peacock. And his company has got a deal with Peacock. And uh, so he's out there, like, doing it. And he made his first feature. It was, like, scrappy, low budget, raised the money himself. And and uh, it's called Here Alone, and it's a zombie movie. It came out, I think, 2016, kind of in the height of the zombie craze. Yeah. Won the audience award at Tribeca. Nice. By all accounts, should have sent him yeah. going, right? Hasn't made a movie since then. Sold wow. scripts to Amblin. Sold, you know, Steven Spielberg's company sold a script, did all this other stuff. But I was talking to him, he was like, listen, everyone wants to see me as the documentary guy. And then the movie wasn't enough to get it going. You know, I tried to go the path of pitching. He's like, go make a movie, low budget with your friends hmm. while pitching all the other stuff. Yeah. Make them want you. Yeah. And he was like, at least you're controlling it. Yeah. And so I've really taken that to heart. And, um, you know, I'm trying to finish up scripts that I've ha I had that I'm working on. And then just I have a short I'm hoping to make. And then uh, my next focus is a feature. And then hopefully keep that ball rolling. It now is a great time for for first time directors. If you're going to call, you know, I know, I know you would be considered that in the feature world. Yeah. But that is another thing about the threshold to making stuff being uh, a lot more, a lot, you know, lower as far, far as dollars are concerned. You can shoot some beautiful stuff now, yeah. and and can tell some really compelling stories with a lot less than you could before. And so this is, you know, we're we're lucky to to have you know those tools at our disposal, but it's not just the tools. It's also the people and the people who know how to use those tools. You mentioned Dustin Tate. Yeah. Extremely talented gaffer. Absolutely. Well, um, what, and also an awesome attitude to work with on set. Yeah. And, uh, I worked with Durfee a couple weeks ago. Did you? Love Durf. Yeah. He's, 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 he's the man he's too. Homie, yeah. Yeah. And, and so, you know, we talked about getting people excited about working with you and all that, but you know, it does it even, if you have to raise your own money and you and a little bit goes, you know, and, and you only have a little bit of it, yeah. I think another place to spend it is on, you know, is on good money, is Absolutely. on good people. If you don't have, uh, if you can't afford A-list actors yet, Absolutely. good crew, people who can make your stuff look pretty so you can tell the story. And people and, who are invested, you know, again, yeah. comes back. I think it always comes back to the people who are invested in, in you and your vision. Yeah. Um, 
having those believers in your corner, that family, I think really helps you go through because it's hard, man. It's hard. You, so, you've been on those long days. Yeah. It's brutal. Yeah. And, you know, at the end of a 14-hour day, if you're the only person that believes in what you're doing, you're out there moving stuff around <laughs> yeah. and, you know, everybody's moving lost. Light their, stands, yeah, moving yeah. <laughs> light stands. Everybody's, everybody's lost their steam. It can get hard and a little demoralizing. Our non-union yeah. town over here. <laughs> exactly. But uh, So what about uh, what about – like how do the deals work if you were to like you and Dustin partner on something and you yeah, go yeah. do something? Is it like is it a point system to where if you if you sell something like a TV show that that goes, do you guys get a you know certain ownership of that thing as it moves on? And so yeah. you make money depending on how well it does or who it sells to, and if it keeps going for multiple seasons, then you get a percentage of that. Is that how that all works? Generally, yeah. So we what we did was we took it out. Uh, with A3, A3 pitched it to a bunch of their production companies. Uh, we had about eight that wanted it, took meetings. We picked off of that based on what they were offering, how mm. much percentage ownership. Ah, uh, like so how we, much they were going to let you keep of your thing. Exactly. <laughs> Love that, right? Yeah. Um, but uh, that's the hard thing. A lot of networks won't hear you as an individual pitch. They're like, no, you got to have a production company trusted yeah. to, to pitch. So it's kind of a just another door you have to, yeah. you have to open. It's so crazy how it, and I understand there's risk involved. If if somebody wants to buy a film from you, they want to they want to know that you can carry it out. And we run yeah. into it in the uh, in in the linear television game a little bit ourselves because we have somebody um, that is strictly devoted to television development at Pop Fizz, mm-hmm. and uh, it seems like any time we get to a certain point with a network. Uh, where our idea, they love our idea. They love our sizzle. They love that we have everything in place. They look at us as a you know ten year old production company who hasn't done a bunch of this stuff yet. Yeah, we haven't done a lot of stuff in the space, and so they want to hedge by attaching us then to a very uh, uh, you know accomplished production company yeah. to know that they're going to get get the thing made at a high level. And so there's capital in that. There's capital in the in the, you know the north south productions that are in town. Yeah. How many thousands of hours of TV have they made? Oh, yeah. And and they're and and they've got doors, you know, I don't want to say I don't want to say that it's not hard for them to get stuff sold, yeah. but it's a but it's a lot easier to uh to get to take that meeting when you have a long uh track record to point to, which Absolutely. That's what Jupiter does. Oh, I mean, it's exactly right, for right? For a long time uh a couple of years back I was directing shows for other companies as a subcontractor through Jupiter because. Wait a second. How does let's see? You were directing. Uh, okay. So uh, a company would sell a show. To okay. ID Oxygen. Some whoever. other company that's not Jupiter. Yep. Someone else. Okay. And often out of New York, small. You know, similar to like me and Dustin selling a show or something like that. Mm-hmm. And then they're like, "We don't trust you to not blow this budget and not deliver us a show." Mm-hmm. Because you have, you have no track record. So right. what we're going to do is we're going to go to Jupiter, who we buy 20 shows a year from. Gotcha. And they're going to co-pro. They're going to yep. own a piece. Yep. And then they come to us and they go, all right, so Chad's directing. Hmm. And then so I'm kind of like this weird pastor. So I watch that a lot. And it's them hedging their bets, you yep. know. It makes sense. I mean, it, it, you see – the film and television world can be very, very lucrative. Yes. And you can make a, a lot of money if you make a thing that does really well. But there is still a ton of risk involved for yes. the people who put money forward. And, you know, I, I'm a risk averse 
person when it comes to yeah. my money. Like I don't, Absolutely. I don't, I don't want to spend a lot of money on something if I don't think it's going to oh, return yeah. value. So, so I totally get it. And I, uh, but you're getting to that point. I feel like to where you you have. You know, you have some track record to point to, it sounds like. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, at least in the true crime space, you know, yeah. like I'll be the, you know, the murder guy, I guess, for a while. And, and it's great. You know, it's allowed me to have a great career where I can take care of my family. Yeah. Um, And that's what's important to me right now. You know, like I'll chase. I I see it as like I have two jobs, but, you know, only one pays. Yeah. You know, I, I go and I, I do this you know, true crime stuff. And then I come back and uh, my off time, I write and I take meetings and do all this other stuff with the hope of slowly taking out some of the episodes I'm doing and being able to, to apply them somewhere else until mm. another project takes hold. Yeah. And that's the beauty of being a freelancer. Um, you just kind of have to burn the candle when, where you can. Yeah. And, and, you know, that's that's the name of the game. And, and I love it. And so it doesn't doesn't bother me. You know, if you're scared of work, don't be in the film industry. Mm. You know, I, that's just the way I see it. Agreed. And, uh, yeah, hopefully one of these days it'll take, you know. <laughs> it, it Even, uh, you know, I, it, I love that you have that you have goals that are outside of what you're doing now. I think that's super noble, and I think that everybody should have goals outside of where where they're at at the time. But it's also hard because you look at where you are now and you know that the, what you're doing now is someone else's goal. Absolutely, they're trying to get to where you're at. <laughs> you're I, at right now. Me, me, and, and my wife uh, Madeline. Uh, she she works at Design Sensor. Yes, you, you know her. Yes, I do know her. Um, absolutely brilliant far more talented than i'll ever be she's she's both of those <laughs> she yes 100 percent, 100 percent, an absolute muse of mine and Good. just uh everything that she makes me better but she uh you know we have these conversations of because she's also a very driven person and, and and i love that and i love what that does for our relationship and pushing me as well but we also have to just be like hey let's remember where we were or where we are yeah, and keep that perspective of like other people want to do what we're doing so let's still be happy with that let's celebrate those wins you know yeah. a good meeting a good pitch let's let's celebrate it you know how, how do you do that i've always i've always tried to stay very close to gratitude yes that has been my kind of cheat code for doing it and sometimes i slip man you'll catch me slipping all the time where i'm yeah. like man i wish i was making a different thing or a better thing or a, right. something that had a bigger budget or whatever it was. But we had a, a, a talent on set today that was just standing there watching us work. Mm -hmm. And he came up to me and he was like, it was a hard day. It was a very hard day. Yeah. And we're all kind of worn out. And he's just, you know, his eyes are enormous. And he goes, you guys have the coolest job in the world. You guys are doing the coolest thing right now. And it brought me back to planet earth. Yeah. And I was like, you're right. And I forgot that for 30 minutes. Yep. And now thank you for getting me back in there. But, but uh, gratitude has always kind of been Absolutely. the thing that, that, that draws me back to it because I do remember when I was 19 living in LA yeah. and working as a production assistant on, on, you know, stuff that was, was big and was, and was making it on to cable television, but I could not have been further down on the credits mm -hmm. and I could have never imagined that one day I would, you know, be, be towards the top. Absolutely. And you know, it, it's a little perspective and a little gratitude. will 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 get yeah. you there. <laughs> I mean, I think if you're hungry and you, you have things you want to do, I think it's easy to grass is greener on the other side kind yep. of situation. But, yep. um, you know, I try to look at it as there are a lot of directors in this country who are fantastic, who are editing to 
cover their bills and take care of their family and doing uh-huh. small things on the side or, you know, stressing. And I love being on set. I love my crew. I love the people I get to work with. And I love making narrative, even though what I'm making is documentary, but, you know, a narrative, you know, that's what I get to do. I get to direct actors. I get yeah. to, I get to, you know, set up cool scenes and that's so exciting. And I, w- I would hate if I had to sit at a desk all day. Yeah. You know, I, I love sitting at a desk to write with the hope of being there to make it happen. Yeah. You know, like that's so exciting. And I remember that so many p- other people don't have that and some people don't love their job. They just yeah. do it. And I'm lucky enough to say that I love it. Yeah. And that's, that's already a, a W. Yeah. You I, know, in my I book. Agree. Yeah. So, uh, so yeah, I just try to remember that and, and, and having great people who remember that as well around me, you know, like, like Sam, yeah. Sam's a great one. We, yeah. We'll look at each other and man, can you imagine, you know, if we we're doing something else, <laughs> this would be terrible. You know, like this is awesome. It's, it's different every day for sure. Yeah. And I, I think when you, when you feel like you're continuing to pay your dues, like you were talking about the, the, the wonderful director who's taken, you know, editing gigs just to, just to pay his bills or, or, or whatever. There's a love of the craft that, that comes into it. And everybody of course has to start somewhere doing something. But like, do you remember a moment or do you, do you remember what got the bug in you or where you, where you really started and said, this is kind of what I want to, this is the path I'm going to take the trajectory for my career. So uh, I'm, I'm not your typical, I feel like some people my age come from the, um, I love Star Wars. I love Jurassic Park yeah. and Spielberg. And I, I was making, you know, Super 8s, uh, you know, and my dad's Super 8 camera with my friends. Like, I wasn't that guy. That was wasn't a, you? No, I was an athlete. I was, my my parents are creative, but it's masked by their athleticism mm. and the things that they, you know, that they do. My dad's a computer software engineer. He's a creative, but he just, that's what he does. Yeah. And, um... Yeah, so I, I didn't grow up with it. So I was like leaned into creative things, but I was an athlete first. Played baseball. I ended up running track in college. Played a little bit of football, and um, it's one of those things that I, uh, when I got out of college, and I was like, all right, now what the hell does the rest of my life look like? Mm. You know, I thought I wanted to be a strength and conditioning coach. I thought, you know, I was, I was majoring in exercise physiology and biomechanics. And when I ended up, I was putting myself through school, and I ended up dropping out because I didn't know. I was like, is that what I want? Like, I had a real crisis. And so you're in your 20s at this point? Or? In my 20s. Where were you? Mid 20s. I was in Charleston, South Carolina, okay. where, I, where I was born and raised. I went to Charleston Southern University. And um, I dropped out of school. Because you didn't see a future in what you were doing. No, and like I, a, and like a, a, a contentment future for yeah. yourself. And it was it was hard. You know, I, I, I'm not the, you know, now I understand myself. I'm creative and I you know, struggle with certain classroom learning, you know, like I, it was, I was always smart enough to get by in high school really easily. You know what I mean? Same. And then you get to college and it's like, it's not good enough to be smart, you know? And so I, uh, you know, I struggled with that. And, and, but also it was, I I can do anything if I care. Yeah. And if I can't find the need to care that much and, and obsess over it, it's really, it's, it's a struggle. Gotcha. And, um, so I dropped out, moved up here because I was chasing a relationship that I had with a girl who went to University of Tennessee, didn't work out. Um, and I found myself here and I picked up a camera and I shot something for a church I was going to at the time. 
and uh, it hooked me in a way that like <laughs> I was not expecting. What kind of story was it? It honestly it was a mission trip. I went to Romania, and uh, they stuck uh, an old like tape camera in my hand, and I went really? out there and on mini DV and shot just just stuff. You know, it wasn't even anything. It came together like it was fine. Like it wasn't anything special, but it was just the idea of shooting something, having a vision. And then at first, I think it was just I thought narrative was too hard to do. And the thing is, don't get me wrong. Jurassic Park, love it. Indiana mm-hmm. Jones was one of my favorite, things. and I think I had that underneath where I was like, "This is amazing." Like, I right. had this respect for you it. You had an reverent. appreciation for it, but it it wasn't something that drove you to a camera. Absolutely, I had a reverence for filmmaking in a way that I don't think I understood at the mm. time. And so, I grow up, and that's still there. And now it's, oh, like I'm understanding how it's being made. And I thought I was just going to do the commercial game. You know, and I started shooting weddings. I shot, I don't know, sixty something weddings in my in my time for a couple of years around Knoxville. And then I did the seven day shootout one year. What year is this? Twenty probably twenty fourteen. Okay. So you entered a film festival. Entered a film festival after seven day. raising a, a camera on your shoulder just for the church at that point, right? Yeah, I did that. Maybe a couple of weddings. I think I had a five D Mark II at the time. Okay, and I, I was, it was with a buddy, so it wasn't even. I, I think I kind of DP'd it at the time. I wasn't even like directing or writing. I was just kind of like pointing the camera at people. Yeah, and uh, seeing that play on the screen, I was like, I got the bug, <laughs> and I was like, this is it. This is this is pretty amazing. So the next year, I was like. All right, I'm doing this on my own. I'm writing. I'm di- I'm I'm gonna, you know, still at the time it's like directing, DPing. What's the difference, you know? Right. And uh, uh, you know, Joe Atkins, who him and his wife do Joe Photo, and uh, the really talented photographers. Joe used to uh, gaff and do some stuff, and he was a good buddy of mine. I was shooting weddings with him, and, and he had this great knowledge of lighting. Mm. Learned a lot from Joe. Such great people, and um. So yeah, I made I made a, a zombie during the zombie. It was 2015. I made the zombie short, um, won this like award that you know ultimately doesn't mean anything. It was just like emerging filmmaker award, hmm. and I was like, that's you know it kind of like I think just pushed me even farther. You won the watch out for this guy award. Sure, yeah, you know you know it's like and it what does that mean in 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 the grand scheme of filmmaking and like art being subjective? But it was cool. It was yeah. something that was like all right, you're on the right track. And so then the next year I won the seven day all together, which was this really cool year where they're offering um, $20,000 for it to make a feature mm. and um, with whoever won. And so I did that and uh, yeah. And you, and, and you won? And I won. Yep. So they, so they said, here's your funding to make something else. Yeah. It, I mean, it was a really hard time in my life. I was going through my own personal struggles uh, with a couple of situations and uh bit off more than I could chew with a story, but it was a great learning experience. Uh, what was it? Were you trying to, were, were you the, the tormented artist that was, that was trying to make sense of what was happening in your head and, and like letting these struggles that you were going through, uh, out on the page. Is that what, well, what was really interesting? So when I won the seven day shootout, John Kennedy, who was just like, that guy's awesome. Like I love, I'll love John forever. Because love the man. John was scouting for talent at the film festival. And he saw my short and brought me into Jupiter. Mm. And I was arrogant enough to say, I'll only direct. And 
I had an email 30 minutes later with two fatal attractions and that was 160 episodes ago. Really? And um, so that started my Jupiter. So while I'm making this feature, my TV directing starts. Taking off? Yeah, so it's like, I'll, I'll side note, my first day on set, I had no business directing a TV show and I show up on Fatal Attraction and my gaffer, who's a good friend of mine now, uh, Mike Gallagher, we call him Miami Mike. He worked in Miami for years. His yeah. first movie was Cape Fear. Mm. This guy had seen everything. Yeah. Like he'd been in the industry directing real, real shit. And here comes some fresh and meat. I'm some, <laughs> yes. I'm like 26. Don't know what the hell I'm doing. I'm sure he's looking at me like this idiot, you know? But um, to his, I mean, he's still a great collaborator, a good friend of mine. But, um, but yeah, so we, you know, that career takes off. So I'm like doing that dealing with personal struggles. That was around the time my, my, my daughter was born. And so just um, facing a lot of that. And I wrote this feature. I don't know what I was thinking. I guess I didn't, just didn't know any better, but it was like $20,000. And I write this thing with like like 25 locations and mm. like You didn't realize $20,000 sounds like a lot of money. Yeah. But it's not. No. <laughs> it's, and what a, we, it's a day of shooting. What we pulled off with that money I'm still very proud of. Good. Because we probably shot for 25, 30 days. No way. Oh, yeah. like For a feature? I mean, and it was around like, oh, I'm shooting Fatal Attraction. I'm shooting this show. I was doing Justice by Any Means at the time for TV One. And they were like, I was like leaving set and, and making call sheets on my phone and meeting people to shoot scenes at location. I mean, it was wild. And ultimately I was editing, standing up, falling asleep at my desk, trying to make the deadline for the film festival to show it. And we made it, you know, it was just a really hard time, but it was a great learning experience. Honestly, I think I learned a lot about myself and what I'm capable of as a filmmaker, even though that wasn't necessarily, I chalked it up as a win in my win call. I think it was great, uh, a great opportunity, a great learning experience. And, and it shaped a lot of like who I am now. Mm. Did you make it through the personal struggles? Yeah, yeah, it was great. It was great. Yeah, it was glad it happened. <laughs> yeah, I mean, ultimately, yes. I mean, uh, you know, my daughter uh, is not my wife's, and so we were just going through. Is, is not your wife's? Yeah. She, okay, so, so you, my wife is her through, stepmom. Yeah, so you're going through a divorce or some split yeah, up. Yeah, it action. was just uh, you know we were going through custody and do, oh, dealing with that. And, and my I've heard that can young. be really tough. Yeah, it was hard, but you know, my my daughter's mother is. Uh, she is a rock star and such a great mom and, and, and such a good friend now. And we've really, we, I'm so proud of where we are. That's awesome. We work through so much and, um, and yeah. And so, and she's wonderful. And, and my kid is just like so loved and I feel so lucky. That's that, awesome. That's where it is. That's such a good like success story because it, I've heard it can get ugly. I know yeah. many person. I, I know people on both sides of it. Yeah. I know people who have had, you know, a really hard time with that. Yeah, uh, with splitting up and with with custody battles and all that. And then I know people who uh, can sit here in that chair uh, just like you did and and say really good things about their uh, yeah uh, about their you know former spouse or or their you know their their child's. Uh, other parent and and say that it worked out great and this is the best case scenario yeah. and it seems like uh, it, it seems like while that might be the exception rather than the rule that it is um, it's it's really a I don't know it's really an, a nice outcome and it uh, it it seems like <laughs> Sarah and I uh, you know almost almost joke about it it's like man you know if if we 
if if we had you know t- time to our time to ourselves, <laughs> like, right, right, things things would be a lot easier because kids are hard, man. They are, and, and you add it in, you add it into another, you know, you add it into also maintaining a relationship, and it can be very. It can be very difficult, but it, but it, I, I always ad, really admire people who can be bigger than their egos or bigger than, you know, bigger than wanting to be vindictive or whatever it is. And they can come out, do what's best for, for their kids on the other side of things. And Listen, it always, I feel so lucky. I have, you know, I have a daughter and I love, being the father of of a little girl, yeah, like, I love it. <laughs> I, I I think it's a girl dad is like the best. But I'm so I feel so lucky because like I have her mother and my wife, and then my daughter is Gigi, which is uh, her her mom's mom, and then my my mom and my mother in law. I have, she is surrounded by just like amazing strong women, and I just feel so lucky because it, it's a hard world for girls and you know she has so many who are amazing and just strong and have been through so much who love her so hard all the time and i'm just like you know i love it i love that i just get to be there and watch it happen yeah it's, it's incredible you get a bunch of people that adore you yeah. when you're six years old yeah you know, yeah when you're, they're cute too which helps a lot right <laughs> <They are cute. laughs> have you uh have you put your daughter in any of your films i haven't uh i i did make really special thing uh that i got to do with with finn earlier this year her, her name's finley we call her finn um she she wanted to make a film and so we made a short film together awesome and so we i built these backdrops and she i had to write a story about dinosaurs like dinosaurs into the woods or i think it was or into the wilderness is what it was called and um we used like lego people and her toy dinosaurs we built Heck backdrops yeah. and I, I pulled out my camera and lights and we shot a little like kind of st- not stop motion where it was like they're moving around and stuff and uh she we did the voiceovers and put music in it's and cute. she loves it now she's like can we make it it's like an hour and i'm like it was like three minutes and i was like <laughs> all right let's work up to an hour you know it's not to be like an anthology over a couple of years but uh did but, you yeah. ever watch parks and rec did you ever watch a those little bit? Or, yeah, yeah. And they, they did a a, a thing where uh, a guy's go, going through a depressed moment in his life, and he makes a stop motion uh, claymation movie, right, right. And, and he's like, "This is a masterpiece." <laughs> right, right. And he presses play after he's done with it, and it's like two and a half seconds long. This <laughs> <laughs> like, stuff's hard to make. Yeah, man. it is. It's so fun, and we shot in like a day. But she was so proud of it, man, and it was so special. You know, I, I mean, I would love it you know, a little like Sophia Coppola type situation. Really? Oh, I would love it. But at the same time, like I just want her to be happy and love what yeah. she does. Yeah. My, my, uh, six year old might be on one of our shoots tomorrow. We need, oh, we need awesome. some talent It'll be the first time. Well, it'll be the second time I've ever roped her into anything like that. And it's, it's funny because she's interested in what I do right. and thinks it's cool, but yeah. she's also not like, she's, she hasn't really gravitated towards it and like, Oh, I want to yeah. be just like dad. And I think, you know, I, I think she, gravitates towards what her mom does a little bit more and sees that as a little more interesting than what I do, what I do. Yeah. But, uh, uh, it, it really would make me proud down the road if she, if she ever came It'd to be me cool, and, right? and yeah. And wanted me to make a, make a movie with her. Yeah. I, would, I would absolutely love to do it. It was neat, man. It really was. It was really special. She's, uh, you know, she was like showing it just so proud and it was just, it was great, but, it's, uh, it's gotta be an awesome feeling. 
Yeah, you know, and she's artistic. I think that's kind of just like her her thing. We try to get her in sports and stuff. She's just not yeah into it. I know. I'm 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 a little bit. Uh, I might have to. I might have to abandon the dream of of my daughter being or my oldest daughter being Sofia Coppola here because she's really digging basketball. Good for her, man. But that's, that's what great. we did, right? Yeah, you yeah, and I absolutely. both played sports growing up, and 100%. then and then tried to tried to bury the the artist within. <laughs> right, right. It wasn't cool to be an artist back then. Now I, I envy kids now. You know, they can see TikTok and see so many different lives and options. Sure. You know, now it's like we had what we had. You know, and the only thing we saw kind of in this world was like the people shooting video for like the or photos for the school newspaper, you know, or or whatever. You didn't see it in your book. You didn't see any of that stuff. Yeah, I remember you would see like uh, because when I was I was a kid, I always wanted to be on. I always wanted to be an actor. I wanted to be on stage. I wanted to be on. I wanted to be on television. I got a couple of opportunities to be in, you know, commercials that were nationwide when I was a kid because we had the Scripps networks here. I got did some HGTV spots, right. did some modeling and and things like that. But what you really saw outside of that stuff was like, yeah, the newspaper came and took a photo of your class or whatever. And, right. But now, like I think about the hundred and something talent we've had come through the set over the last nine or ten days. Right. And it's like these people are not even shaken by having a camera in their face. They do no. this all the time. Like they don't even think it's cool. Right. <laughs> right. It's They're like, like annoyed. A... They're ready to go. Yeah, exactly. I was like, this used to be awesome when people got to do this. Well, what do you have coming up? Let's see. Uh, it slows down a little bit, man. I just wrapped, um, you lucky bastard. <laughs> I wrapped a show. I wrapped uh so I do this one show that I, I, I do that, that I have, uh, a lot of respect for that I think is a little redeeming for the fact that like I show I shoot people's worst moments of their life mm. um, one show called In Pursuit with John Walsh John Walsh is the uh, former America's Most Wanted guy okay oh yeah, uh, yeah. he has this awful the host? story yep his uh, his son was kidnapped and murdered as a baby oh, it's a really awful situation but he turned it into this really positive thing where he created America's Most Wanted to help yeah. catch fugitives mm-hmm. who were on the run for really, really dangerous crimes mm-hmm. and um, now he you know he's much older but he has a show called In Pursuit yeah and it's on ID it's the number one show on ID and um, and I've been directing it since uh, season two um, and so we're, we just wrapped season four and we've caught I think 37 fugitives off of our show no kidding yeah and how many episodes is that um 30 30 something that i've done i think ultimately the whole season's done probably about 45 or so wow but that's yeah. pretty high percentage rate yeah it's done pretty well so the whole idea is that we shoot and tell the story of what happened and we do real interviews and we shoot recreation to kind of help inform what happened in every commercial break we show the real dude mm. with, with real pictures okay so it, it's almost like, is it like a cold case type thing a little bit? Or Some is it, of them, yeah. Some ooh. of them are really recent, 2021, wow. 2020, you know, and we've had some great stories where people who've done awful crimes and their next door neighbor in Mexico, because they're on the run, oh, sees it and no. turns them in. Dude. It's really I, cool. I've, I don't know why I got into doing this, but like, I'll listen to Crime Junkie. Mm-hmm. Like, it's. I think it's the number one true crime podcast. Yeah, it's huge. It's, it's massive. It's absolutely enormous. Yeah. And I just, I think I just, you know, Googled what's the best. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, right. What's, the best one? what's top, of the, yeah. top of the list? And I like, I'll, I'll listen to them because I, yeah. I happen to be a bit of a podcast junkie myself. Sure, I like, sure. That's how, if you're going to, you know, give me a chance to listen to 
you know, some music that I've heard a thousand times before or listen to a podcast and learn something while I'm yeah. in my car, I'm going to listen to a podcast and try to learn something. Absolutely. And become informed about a topic I don't know anything about. But Crime Junkie has become one of those things that I'll just guilty pleasure turn on. And I'm absolutely shocked at not only like their their purpose for doing what they're doing, but it's exactly what you just mentioned about the John Walsh thing. They're doing it because they want to help uh, facilitate justice yeah. ultimately. And that is a super noble endeavor. And they have turned it into a gigantic production company yeah. that makes all kinds of stuff now and makes a ton of money. And, but they put all that back into, you know, they donate it and they yeah. try to, they, they try to help solve cold cases and, and to find justice. And a lot of it is, you know, female, uh, uh female centric stuff like, yeah. you know, rapes and murders and stuff like that, that, totally. that, that just kind of gets swept under the rug and they're solved. They're helping solve cases that are 40 years old. And it's fantastic. It's important important work. It is important work. And that's what what I love about doing that show. That show's really hard to make in a lot of ways just because um, they're so recent and there's a lot of changing. So we'll do a meeting and then through prep, it's like 20 things change before we get to the actually shooting. Right. Um, But that's one I'm really proud of. And then um, we wrapped that, wrapped a new show called Payback. Uh, It's on TV One. Hmm. Um, I'm still in the middle of... Uh, our 50 episode order of season 13 of Fatal Attraction um, right now. So we'll shoot that until July. 50 episodes per oh, season. That That's the first time that's ever happened. Dude, That in, in television history? Well, I don't know I about mean, that, dude, but it's definitely... Sh- it, that's a show a week. I, I've never shot more than 30 in a season for that show. And I've wow. been doing that show since 2015. It and must be going great then. For, it is. The, for them, it must be doing well. It's the number one show on TV One, which is really awesome. And then... Um, I'm working on a show for Jarrett Creative out of New York called Homicide for the Holidays. Okay. Um, and it is exactly that. It is uh, basically, we're basically creating a series of holiday specials of this show. So we okay. do like everything from 4th of July to Christmas. Just anything that happened during that time, we shoot mm. a story. Gotcha. Um, I have two more of those at the end of the year to wrap season five up. Um, but yeah, I'm just fatal attraction that. I have a short film that I'm hoping to shoot um, that I've been sitting on since 2020 because... It takes place in a prison, and mm. we can't get into jails with COVID. So um, I'm finally about to put that in motion and like start shooting that, which I'm really excited about, and then uh, writing some features, hopefully taking some meetings, and keeping the ball rolling. Have you looked at Brushy Mountain for a location? I have. I have. I, interior, I don't think, will work, but exterior okay. is definitely going to be my my exterior. Cool. It's, very, uh, it's a very Stephen King kind of vibe of a short. Yeah, uh, I'll have to send it to you so you can check it out. I'd love to. Be cool, man. I am so damn glad to meet you, and I'm so Dude, glad here. that you are. Uh, I'm so glad that you're so busy and doing so much meaningful stuff. And I'm very. Uh, I don't know. I'm. I, it always does my heart well to see people who are doing what they want to do and who are doing it at a high level, and who who uh, whose motor keeps running. <laughs> yeah, know? yeah. I, I mean, you know, you know how it is. You, you love what you do. You just, I'm happy to be doing it every day. Yeah. And, and I'm happy to be doing it in such a great place. So, uh, yeah, I respect the hell out of what you do and, and the stuff you make. Same, and man. I'm stoked that we get to get to hang. Me too, man. Well, let's do this again sometime. For sure. And I'm glad to uh, have made a new friend. Absolutely. <laughs> Same here, brother. Take care, Chad. Yeah, you too. All right. Hope we did all right. Thanks for being here, guys. Come out to Second Bell tonight and tomorrow. Friday, September 30th, Saturday, October 1st. Promises to be a great time. 
Check us out on Instagram and follow our live updates from Second Bell. At South of Scruffy on Instagram. Send us an email, southofscruffy at gmail.com. Let us know what you're digging, what you're digging on, what you're liking, what you're not liking. You guys be good. Take care of each other. Take care of yourselves. We'll talk to you real soon, all right? Pitchwire. Play me out.